Welcome to We Are Chafee Looking Upstream, a human-forward conversational podcast based in Chafee County, Colorado. I'm your host, Adam Williams. We have two guests for our conversation today, Rob and Sarah Gartsman, a married couple who are also entrepreneurial partners who own multiple restaurants in the town of Salida, Colorado. Sarah and Rob met as high school seniors in Evanston, Illinois, somewhere around 20 years ago, and they've taken a really compelling path together, and for a bit apart, and have ridden some big ups and some scary downs. You'll hear me say that their relationship is a strong and amazing thread throughout their story, because it is, and I think that's pretty clear. Rob tells us about the unwritten rule in their lives that keeps them going through dark early morning wake-ups, being bosses for nearly 40 employees, being creators, innovators, risk-takers, and everything that joins the biker, that's Rob, and the baker, Sarah which, for anyone who doesn't already know today's guest, is perhaps my punny way to say, the Biker and the Baker is the name of one of their restaurants, and it's known by travelers far and wide, as is their Sweetie's Sandwich Shop. Adding on to that are a couple more unfolding startup ventures that we'll talk about too. We also get into the seriousness of a truly life-threatening, frightening emergency that led Sarah to the hospital during an already extraordinarily difficult time. We touch on a topic that not only is critical in Chafee County and throughout Colorado, but across the country and really the world. I'm talking about housing affordability and the dominoes that can fall in a community without it. Rob shares insights on some of those dominoes as they affect his and Sarah's businesses and the community at large. He also tells us about steps they're taking to be part of the solution. All in all, I feel like this incredible conversation is about a shared story that balances fear and love and humor and lots of hard work, lots of hard work, adventure, and immense self-belief. Here it is, my conversation with Rob and Sarah Gartsman. Rob and Sarah, welcome to Looking Upstream. Thanks for having us. So, of course, you two are well-known for your restaurants, um, the Biker and the Baker and Sweetie's Sandwich Shop. But what I want to start with, before we get into some of those things, is that you two met in high school. By the way, I came from the Midwest too. So uh, we have some of that already as common ground, but I'd love to hear where your origin story, so to speak, is. And uh, Rob, why don't we, we start with you and you guys can then feed into each other's story, you know, fill in the gaps if anybody leaves something incredibly hilarious that we need to know. um okay uh so sarah and i we uh you're right we did meet in high school um we knew each other throughout high school kind of towards the very end we started dating uh and something uh between us just kind of clicked um shortly thereafter um i moved to colorado sarah actually moved to hawaii for um a short period uh and uh we decided we wanted we wanted to continue our relationship, so she then moved uh, back to Boulder, where I was living. I was going. I did to s- move into his dorm room. With yeah, him. I was going <laughs> to see you uh, in Boulder, and Sarah moved into my dorm room. Um, and did you have a roommate at the time? I had a roommate, and, and he's still friends with us. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he just came and visited. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, we did that thing for a little while, and. 
probably, especially for me at the time, it felt a little intense. And then we broke up. Okay. <laughs> and by we broke up, I mean I broke up with Sarah. She won't let me forget that part. <laughs> okay. I wasn't even going to bring that whole thing up. But that, oh, that's I'm so good. glad that we did. I'm glad yeah. we did. Uh, but um, as many things uh, work out, we were uh, destined to um, be partners in all of the things we do. Uh, so we got back together. Um, about a year later, Sarah moved back to Boulder ultimately, um, where I was living. And uh, after a, a short while living in Boulder, we moved to Denver. And ultimately, we moved here. Okay. Uh, where? Before I want I want to stop us before yeah. we get too far down the road there, Sarah. I want to hear from you on where it was you two met. Where Where was it you grew up actually? So we're both from the suburb just north of Chicago, Evanston, Illinois. Okay. Um, we went to Evanston High School together, and Brad just caught my eyes just in the North Wing, one oh West Northwest. <laughs> sounded like when you were maybe seniors, it was toward the end of... Yes, it was at the end of high school, like n- the middle of senior year. We started dating, and we actually were, um, we were, had a bunch of classes together, so we had spent a lot of time together, we were already friends, and then we just decided we loved each other. It turns out it was almost 20 years ago that we uh, started dating, so wow. it's, been, it's been a little while. Okay, you know, I I think it's great that there were, I, I don't want to call them bumps, but there were those moments where you had a chance to kind of, you know, explore and experience some other things too, because I'm thinking, you, surely at the time, you know, seniors in high school, you're not thinking this is the person I'm going to build my restaurant empire with, <laughs> I'm going to build my life, right? So, I mean, I, mean, I don't think either of us were even thinking about building a restaurant empire yeah, uh, sure. Till many years later, so so much life was was out here ahead of you. Yeah, but yeah, I um, I I feel like I knew Rob was the one immediately. <laughs> really? Yeah, totally, without in, a doubt. In what way? I just couldn't live without him. I just like I was better when I was with him. I never wanted to be without him again. What took you to Hawaii? Oh, I just wanted to go as far away from my family as possible. <laughs> Sorry, family, if you're listening. Didn't last long. <laughs> so then you connect back in Boulder. We have that year period where, you know, I, I assume you're, it sounded like if it got intense, maybe you're breathing a little bit and then realize, what, oops, I need her back? Uh, you know, more or less along those lines, yeah. Sarah, what did you think when that happened? When Considering what you just said... I, I'm better with him. I need him in my life. And then there's that year gap. Well, it was kind of like the best thing that could have happened because we could both be independent and find out what what we wanted to do later in life a little bit more and kind of live alone for a little bit. But, I mean, I was crushed. I was just devastated because I really felt like he was my person. I had no idea what we were going to do together, but... I just right. felt like we could do anything together. And he is. And you guys are. Yeah. Right? Isn't, isn't that amazing to look back and be like, okay, I was crushed at this point. But a year later, you get back together and then everything that has come since. So I guess let's um, let's talk about then what, what has come since. Let's go ahead and, and move along with the chronology. The two of you are back together. You're in Boulder. 
Uh, my understanding, Rob, is that you were a bike mechanic at some point when, Sarah, you were learning to become a chef, mm -hmm. a baker? Yeah, a pastry chef. Okay. So where, where was it that you were learning those skills? Was it in restaurants, school? So, yeah, I went to culinary school at the Culinary School of the Rockies in South Boulder. Um, it's been acquired since I went there. It's now the Escoffier School of Culinary Arts. Okay. Um, I worked there. I worked in a number of restaurants, bakeries, and then I actually went back to work at the school um, for quite some time. Rob, what did you have going on? So I uh, worked in the bike industry as a mountain bike mechanic and a suspension technician for mountain bikes. I worked for a number of bike shops, bike companies, and um, I had this dream of you know making it big in the bike industry as a mechanic, and uh, that dream. Uh, you know, started to fade as I realized that's not how it works in that industry. It's not a thing. It's not really, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you might get promised a career, but uh, the career might mean that you're still overdrafting your bank account every week uh, trying to make it all come together. Um, you get really nice bikes, though, and uh, that's like the small perk of doing it. Um, but uh, in that process, I wanted to start a bike company, so I decided... Uh, you know, that was the only way for me to figure out how to make it and like last in that industry. And I went back to school, back to CU. Um, there were a couple hiccups there. I might have been suspended on an academic suspension because I played a little too much <laughs> in the mountains. And um, so back to school, uh, kind of change uh, my train of thought a little bit and getting a business degree. And uh, in that process, and I spent uh, uh, years getting this business degree, developing um, a business plan for this, and we would, Sarah and I would come to Salida frequently, and I thought Salida would be the best place to start this bike company, because it's located central to every major mountain bike destination in the state, um, as well as you have riding most of the years, a lot of us locals know. Um, and Sarah and I uh, had this connection with the town that we it felt like home uh, when we'd come here. And we'd come here um, a few times a year, and we'd been here different seasons, but we'd especially come here uh, for Thanksgiving, um, just the two of us. Uh, and that kind of became our thing uh, while we were here. Um, so uh, I'm kind of in this business plan class, finishing up... Uh, my uh, degree at CU with entrepreneurship and um, really, really spent a lot of time working on this business plan. Um, but it's starting like in the back of my head, it's kind of starting to fall apart. Uh, and I realize it's, you know, ultimately realize it's not going to work and it's not worth the investment and I don't want to do it. But while I was still here, um, we were walking by this uh, bakery that had a for sale sign in it. And I kind of jokingly said, hey, Sarah, you're going to need a job here. You should buy this place. Um, <laughs> and uh, she laughed at me, and then we walked on. Uh, but a few months later, I'm sitting trying to figure out, like, oh, what bike business didn't work out. What are we going to do now? And I look up this bakery, and I call Sarah up shortly after, and I say, hey, remember that bakery I was joking about uh, you buying? I think we should do it. I think we can pull this off. And, uh, you know, we, we contacted uh, 
Susan Dempsey Hughes, who was uh, the real estate agent listing it, and shortly thereafter, we were under contract to purchase this uh, kind of, we'll say, flailing business at the time. But it had a lot of opportunity, clearly, because that business has turned into Sweeties. Sarah, what did you think when he said that to you? When when he brought up, hey, let's let's buy this. Um. I think I was in shock more than anything. <laughs> um, Did it scare you? Was, were oh, were yeah. you the type of person who's like, oh, yeah, I'm up for a big, huge adventure that's No, no, totally I'm scared of, of everything. Okay. Totally scared of everything. I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Also, we never lived in a small town. I thought Boulder was a small town when we moved right. from Chicago. Um, so, yeah, I was terrified. I, I also thought he was joking for a while. I, <laughs> I was kind of thinking, yeah, this other thing didn't work out. I think he's like might be losing it a little bit, that he wants to open a bakery. Having an early midlife crisis. Yeah. You know, when you're kind of crushed by the thought of something like one dream not coming true, right. you kind of really are grasping for the next thing. And I was, I was just terrified. Were you afraid he was trying to force, force that idea? Just so that he had that next thing maybe to... To grab on to and say, I okay, now this thought, is my dream. I just thought he was, like, a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old were you two at this point? In, in, 20, where were you in your life? 25. Okay. Okay. We were 25. Rob was 26. I was 25. Gotcha. So, okay, this big scary idea. I want to ask then, since you came up with this, is that more your wheelhouse to say, oh, I'm... I'm I'm great with big, scary, visionary things. Let's leap into it. Let's invest what we have, whatever. Is that is that pretty I typical mean, for you? I would say I'm the entrepreneur, uh, and, and Sarah is too. Uh, but at the time, I was much more willing to take risks. Um, I believe in ourselves uh, more than I believe in probably anyone else. So I know if we want to do something, we're going to find a way to make it happen. Um I think we just didn't know that about ourselves then. Like, yeah. looking okay. back now, it totally makes sense because we have continued to do these things, like crazy big things at hard times in our life and just, like, one challenge, then the next one, then the next one. So it feels like that was really the first time for us okay. that we did something hard. I think that make, that makes sense because, well, let me ask this way. Did you have anybody in, in either of your lives who you might look to, even if it's in hindsight now, and say, oh, well, okay, they, they're somebody who's a risk taker. They're somebody who has big ideas. And that might have been not necessarily a model, but somebody who, like, I guess really the question I'm saying is if we don't have anybody who shows us what is possible, if you, have, if you come from a family that never travels and goes out in the world, doesn't that seem like a really big, scary thing to go travel to the other side of the world? So did you know anybody, Rob, who was an entrepreneur or who took any risks like that? So my family, my grandfather uh, and my uncle and uh, some other people, they um, started a business. But my grandfather ran this business his whole life. I wouldn't necessarily describe him as a risk taker in the same way, even though he, it was a dime store kind of like the precursor to Walmart uh, and he his father was the one who started it 
at a time when he ran like a small neighborhood uh, grocery store, but supermarkets were just becoming a thing at this time. So his neighborhood store was no longer a real viable option. So there was this guy, his name was Jules, and he um, came in and talked about this idea of a dime store. Uh, and they should get into business doing that. Well, so my great-grandfather, he starts this business as a dime store. They call it Jewels Five and Dime. It was in Chicago for almost 80 years. Um, my grandfather took it over and ran it, and he had lots of iterations. They'd change different things up or find new ways to, you know, bring in business. Uh, it was but, like a mini Woolworths. Yeah. Okay. But to me... He wasn't so much of a risk taker. He was just a hard worker. Uh, and But I saw also my whole family. Like, we would all go around Christmas. Like, my aunts and uncles, my other cousins, anyone. Once you were, like, about 10 years old or older, you were working at the dime store for Christmas or back to school, the busy times of year. And my grandfather... Um, who was Jewish said Christmas was his favorite time of year because all the <laughs> family was working together. Um, but it really was that family business kind of feel. We'd all take a part in it, and we all have fond memories of the store. They all played a big impact on our lives. So I think that from my perspective, the small business part didn't scare me as much because I saw what being in a small business was like growing up. The risk-taking factors, though, um, I don't know that I had anyone who was okay with that. I'm just okay personally taking risks, and I believe in myself. Okay. Um, but I also believe in Sarah, which was a big part of this. Um, you know, Sarah's the pastry chef at this point and has a lot more experience in restaurants than I do. So I believe in her uh, and our ability to work together to create this business and take a risk on it. I think the relationship between you two is is kind of for me the maybe the most significant thread through everything. So we're we're going to be sticking with this this thread, I think. But I want to talk about the restaurants and and we'll again chronologically kind of move forward here. And uh, I think it was 2012. Then you moved to Salida, is that right? From Boulder and opened up Sweeties. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we started. We opened July 1st, 2012. Um, that was, uh, you know, I don't know that that was the best time to open, but I should back up because that was a pretty busy month. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, a yeah. lot happened. So we moved here at the end of May we, well, in 2012. First, I graduated from CU That's at the end did. of May. Then we moved here. We flew back to Chicago. We got married in Chicago, went on a honeymoon, and then... Came back here days before or a week before to uh, open Sweeties. Well, to close on the existing business. <laughs> yeah, so we closed on the existing business, and then we started Sweeties on July 1st, which we didn't really know what the schedule of the summer was like. I mean, we were told a little bit, but having not lived it before, um, we didn't realize we were moving into like one of the busiest weeks of the year. Um, and, I mean, it was pretty wild for us. We start coming in earlier and earlier as we realize like how much work needs to get done. And we have one employee at that point, but it's just the two of us working all the time and one employee kind of and, helping us. And when we mean all the time, we mean like then <laughs> I would get there about 1 a.m. Rob would come in at 4 
and then we'd work until about six or seven, like immediately pass out and do it again the next day. Why did you sleep so late, Rob? <laughs> he sometimes That's, stayed later than I did. Is Was this something, Sarah, that you knew about yourself or the two of you about yourselves that you were willing to put in those kinds of hours? I had no idea I could do this. Was it just out of necessity? I mean, you really jumped it, it into was, the deep end at that moment. It was actually out of necessity. Yeah. Okay. And it was just kept getting busier and busier, and we would sell out of everything, and it was just me making everything, everything baked, and I had no idea how to do any of it. So we opened at 7.30. I would have a good six hours to figure out how to bake everything for the day, how to make the right amount of everything, how to so- somehow make the bread and roll it out for the next day, and then do it all again the next day. It was wild. But then in between then, like, we had to serve the customers. I was standing on the register all day, and Rob was making sandwiches and breakfast when we first started. We'd have to walk through the restaurant to bring, like, a handwritten posty note ticket <laughs> to each other. It was wild. It felt really hard and busy, but the reality was it wasn't very busy. You know, but also eleven years ago, it was bit that was busy here. <laughs> it was, it was a different yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, it was a different. What was it lifestyle. that you liked about it? So that you, I mean, you must have enjoyed something in what I would have to think is is stressful and not getting a super amount of sleep. You're working really hard, and you've kept going. Like you said, it's it's eleven years. It's not like you said, you know what, this isn't for us. So something stuck. What was it that you did enjoy about it? Well, I think the, you know, there were two main things that we really enjoyed. And I can at least speak for myself, but I think they're pretty similar. Um, The first one was that we enjoyed doing it together. Uh, And it comes back to the thread you were talking about with the two of us. Um, The second part was that we uh, did get an enjoyment out of trying to do it better, trying to sell more, trying to be more efficient, trying to figure out how to make this work. And that drive in itself kept us going. Um, That's why we kept um, coming in earlier or working longer because we really did want to figure out how to make it work and how to somehow turn this into something more successful than it was. Okay. So I'm going to maybe speed us up a little bit through some of this timeline, knowing that you also opened a second restaurant, Mo Burrito. I think that was in 16. You sold that a few years later. You've since opened the biker and the baker. And which by the way, it it kind of occurred to me, we've already talked about Rob, how you were into mountain biking, Sarah, you're the baker, the biker and the baker. That sounds like to me a sort of movie title. (laughs) <laughs> you know, a, a rom-com or something that the two of you who meet and, you know, anyway, I, I just start getting this picture of of just this quaint little mountain town and and this couple. And I don't know, it's a restaurant, the cafe where so much happens in the lives of so many people in the town. I don't need to take us down that thread. You can. But if you know it. anyone at Netflix, we're happy to entertain offers. Oh, that would be amazing, <laughs> wouldn't it? So you mentioned kind of the stress and short timeline of when you started from leaving uh, the University of Colorado, starting the restaurant. But I think the story here with the biker and the baker and moving buildings with that and Sweeties, the pandemic, that's another kind of 
we're going to jump into the deep end and have, you couldn't even predict that with the <laughs> pandemic and how that would impact restaurants in particular. So Sarah, will you, I guess, tell me a little bit about what the vision was there and I skipped over some details. So maybe let people know what I'm talking about with the biker and the baker and sweeties co-location and so on. Yeah. So before we moved into our existing location, our sweeties was on F street between first and second and right around the corner was the biker and the baker um, on first street. And we didn't have a kitchen in the biker and the baker. The back doors were kind of connected by the alley. We didn't have an oven. Only thing we had was a refrigerator, a little mini like college freezer <laughs> and a slicer. Um, so we would make everything at, at, at Sweetie's and bake it all and bring it through the alley to the biker and the baker. So that made the overhead pretty low for the biker and the baker. Okay. It also meant that we could be open a little bit less. Our, you know, our, we were only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to start in the evenings um, with charcuterie service, wine, and dessert service. Um, so we kind of saw the potential for both places to grow and we wanted them to be under the same umbrella. So we started building our current location on G Street and G and Sackett um, right before the pandemic started. We broke ground, I think, like March 20th, maybe. And then the in next December. week. Oh, in December. Yeah. we In December of 2019, we like officially broke ground. Oh, I didn't We'd been working that. on it for a little over a year at that point. Um, but right as we started the construction, everything shut down. Yeah. Okay. Like the real construction. <laughs> um, everything shut down for COVID. So we kind right. of had to pivot a little bit. But it was very scary. Sarah said we had just ordered like $300,000 worth of equipment. And Sarah said we should just return it all and move on and not do this anymore. We don't know what's going to go on. But... Um, in the end, we we stuck with it, and uh, you know it's been it's been great for us. The move. I think the been... real theme is me saying, "No, I'm terrified. We should stop." And you're like, "No, thank you." That's <laughs> really what's happening in the story. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> so again, you know that thread married couple at this point, um, but a long-standing relationship and partnership for life decisions, for business decisions. What? And, and in a very stressful industry, a right? very stressful industry. Okay. So, just what what is that dynamic? If you don't mind sharing, is the stress between you two, or what is it that makes it work when you're surrounded by stress? Well, we have both found out how to deal with a lot of stress all the time, and how to find ways to manage it. Um, we also both kind of have an unwritten rule between us that only one of us can, you know, be losing it at a time. <laughs> uh, the other one, you know, if someone's got it worse than the other, we got to kind of give, uh, you know, make way to that person um, because one of us has to keep things together if the other one of us is having a hard time. We both have hard times, a different, you know, this is what we're doing is an easy um and there's so many layers to it. Uh, but we also, you know, find ways that we 
while we do the same things, we also both have pretty respective roles and we're respectful in uh, each other and kind of maintaining those roles and not stepping on each other's toes. doesn't mean we don't work together or do the same things sometimes. We absolutely do. But I think we found ways to balance like the stress of different roles between us but also realize that sometimes one person needs more help than the other. And so we're there for them at that time. And I think both of us genuinely enjoy the, like, adrenaline rush of working on the line, working in the kitchen, serving people. Like, I think we both get some kind of thrill from it. Yeah, like coming up with a solution to a problem. I know that we both enjoy that part. How many employees do you have between the two restaurants? 37. So that's a lot going on there, too. Yes. There's a lot of people coming to you when they have a question, have a need, have a problem, need the schedule change. They have a problem that they are fielding from a customer or maybe from a vendor. Or they have an issue with each other, working together. <laughs> they want to complain about their coworker. It's a lot all the time. They, so Rob, they, Rob mentioned that you have ways, I think, of dealing with the stress. Sarah, how is it you deal with that stress? Um, the stress is hard for me. I, I don't always deal with it well sometimes. Do I you have particular <laughs> go-to things that you, I mean, even if it's to step outside the door and take a breath, go to a yoga class, go for a hike, go for a nap? Are there particular I, things I like I enjoy that? doing all those things, but I think when I'm stressed out, like the best thing that I can do for myself is just to keep going. Honestly, to keep doing it, like to stick with it and not quit. Not that quitting is going home and resting and taking care of yourself. That is helpful too. But I think I don't feel like satisfied in a way unless I stick it, stick it out and like handle the issues, deal with it. And then come out on the other side. Okay. So the I don't know that that answered can, your question. But the stress is really hard. For, like, I just live with constant stress and anxiety and depression all the time. It's a really hard job. Yeah, I'm definitely not trying to remind <laughs> you of how much it's there. But I think it's also because it seems clear that for all the work you're doing, that it, it's just part of life. We all have it. So as hard as you're working and in the restaurant industry and together all the time, there's there's going to be those moments. And I, yeah. you work hard. You work harder than I think I want to work. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we work harder than most people want to work. And the, we see, like, it's not always going to be that way. But there's something about it that we can't stop either. Okay, for the uh, time being anyway, huh? Right now, it feels like, you know, uh, realistically, our job at this point is to make sure things go smooth. Um, and so that's like dealing with problems, dealing with employees, dealing with customers, making sure the food comes out well. Whatever it is, like making sure it goes smoothly. And it goes smoother if we're present. Um, and so we feel... A responsibility to that to all those different groups sure and to ourselves to make sure that I think and you know we care that much about it that we want it to go smoothly so we've talked about the fact that the pandemic you know it, it, it had an impact the timing with what you were doing and trying to build out these two restaurants together 
But there also was another significant challenge in your lives when, Sarah, I know that you had an emergency room type of scare. And um, you know, we briefly touched on this before we recorded today. I've seen what you've posted on Instagram and, and shared you know, so heartfully there. Can we talk about that today? What, what was it that happened? Yeah. Um, so I have degenerative spine disease. So kind of means that all of the discs in between my vertebrae just are kind of drying up and withering away. Um, so I first had surgery in October of 2020 to put in a prosthetic disc um, and have a like a small lumbar spinal fusion that was hopefully going to fix that issue. And I had some really scary complications about like about five days after I had surgery. I had a collapsed lung, um, blood clots in my lung, pretty much all over my major organs and um, hepatitis as well that happened from the surgery. So um, I was in the the hospital for about 11 days after the surgery here until I could kind of stabilize. And luckily I got to the hospital when I did, so I was okay. And it's kind of since then had a lasting impact on everything. took me a long time to... I had to learn how to breathe on my own again. I had to learn how to walk again at the same time. Um, scary. I had to change my diet completely. Um, yeah, it was really scary. So, But I did get better. And honestly, running food up and down the stairs when we first opened probably helped heal my lungs a lot after not using them so much. So that was big time lifesaver. I think there are so many questions that came to my mind (laughs) while you were explaining that. Um, How did you come to know that you had this degenerative disease and uh, needed the surgery? Yeah, so after my son was born, our son was born about seven years ago, um, I had this awful, I've had this awful back pain that I had gone to probably, I don't know, I had gone to the doctor a lot of times and said, like, I'm in so much pain, I need help. And they kept telling me it was one thing after the next, like, it wasn't a big deal, I just needed acupuncture, I just needed a chiropractor, I just needed yoga, I just needed a massage. Um, But structurally, something happened when I was giving birth to him that kind of sped up the degeneration. But I had one disc that had completely ruptured between L4 and L5 that I lived with probably for about five years. When I went finally went to the surgeon, when someone would give me a referral, it had been five years, and the surgeon looked at me and he was like, "I can't believe that you're not paralyzed. Like I cannot believe that you can walk in here. Um, Like the disc was pushing, had ruptured, and was like." had caused so much nerve damage. I couldn't feel my whole right leg or my foot. It was wild. So he felt like paralysis was a definite risk. You do the surgery. So I do the surgery. And and then it leads to other things. And then it leads to other things, which was very scary. And I'm like a healthy person. Like I'd never, I'd never had surgery before this. I'd never really had any medical interventions, never stayed in the hospital other than 
to have children. Okay. So it was really scary. Also, it was during COVID, so no one could be there in the hospital with me. Oh, wow. So, Rob, you weren't able to be there because of that. Well, I could go. I was only allowed to go for like an hour or two a day. If and no one else was there. No How hard was that on, on both of you? Uh, it was really hard on all of us. I think it was, um, you know, it was clearly the most hard on Sarah. She's going through this and in the hospital by herself. It was really hard on our kids who couldn't see their mom. They weren't allowed to go. Um, I was the, There could only be designated one person that could go to the hospital. And they were very limited on how long you could go. But also, I couldn't take away the time from uh, this massive construction project that we were in the middle of opening a restaurant and taking care of the kids without Sarah. And, um, you know, it uh, it was a little more than we were anticipating or a lot more than we were anticipating in a lot of ways. But luckily, you know, uh, Sarah pulled through and uh, is doing all right. I'm glad for that. I, I'm i thinking of you having said about the embolisms and mm-hmm. the fact that they were in a collapsed lung and that there were embolisms in multiple organs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but that sounds life-threatening to me. It was it was life threatening. I uh, one of the ER doctors said like if you had come an hour later, it would have been a different story. I uh, I can't. Um, so I'm I'm also a husband, a father. I you know can empathize with you, Rob and Sarah, to be going through that, and then on top of it, having that time where they're not even allowed to be there with you. Um, and they, you know, probably at the time didn't make it sound as serious. It was like don't realize how serious it is until later i think also like i couldn't communicate the whole time i was in the hospital i also couldn't walk i couldn't move i had just had major spinal surgery five days before this so i was like yeah it's a lot it was yeah it's it's a lot and i couldn't really relay the information because i couldn't to rob i couldn't understand what was going on i was like i mean i was like comatose so for to just like understand I couldn't really understand what was happening and then I there was no one else there to understand what was happening so I couldn't really tell Rob or his family what was going on because it's hard when no one can be in the hospital with you and you don't you're not well enough to know so that was a really hard for me that was a really hard thing yeah and it I felt imagine. like a lot of pressure <laughs> you but I did learn like you really have to advocate for yourself so what I'm hearing in all of this, along with the other things we've already talked about, is that for the two of you in your relationship, you have tackled a number of challenges. You've tackled a number of scary things. I think, you know, again, being married myself and, and having some awareness of, of others over the years in their relationships, some of these really challenging things can kind of lead in one or, or direction or another. They can be what makes life too difficult to continue together sometimes, or they can be what draws you closer. Clearly, you two seem close and and in all of this together. Did you feel that moment throughout all of this, throughout the stress of a new, you know, getting a restaurant open, new construction, the pandemic, kids, and the health matters? 
did you feel that drawing closer as you were going through it all? I don't know that I felt like we were drawing any closer. I think Sarah and I have an incredible commitment to each other that we've had for a long time. And we feel through situations like that, that we can get through them. And, but I don't know that we can become any closer than we already were before then. And, you know, that was one major hurdle um, and was incredibly difficult, like I said, especially for Sarah, but for all of us. Um, but we've been through a lot throughout the years, and, you know, in some ways it just feels like it was continuing. Sarah? Yeah, I, I agree with Rob. I don't really think that one thing would make us closer or... An, I think that we're already incredibly close and we just want to support each other the best we can. And so we learn new things when we have to deal with different problems together. But the like the way that we are there for each other is really by supporting each other. I think just being there for each other. I will okay. say that after going through that process with Sarah's health and doing the restaurant and then moving and opening it up, we decided we probably don't want to open another restaurant again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you how all of these challenges, especially when they're, they all piled up at once, um, how they might have affected you in your view of some things going forward. So that might answer part of that, but also... Uh, in terms of, of life, realizing there there was a, a close line that you were at, Sarah, in terms of the paralysis mm -hmm. when this was discovered. That would have, you know, altered your lives significantly. Then the surgery that led to complications that definitely could have, you know, altered lives significantly. Has that given you any sort of uh, perspective on life and what you're doing together as you move forward that maybe you didn't have before having these close calls um i think that you know i didn't really feel like people say like oh life is short you should just like do what you want i i didn't feel like that i kind of just wanted to get back to the life that i had before where it was pretty normal i mean not normal for everybody but normal for us i just didn't want to miss out on the everyday things anymore so um i think the perspective was that we don't want to do this forever this is great that we're doing it now we have other projects that we want to work on too but just being able to live the lives the way that we have been doing is a gift to me okay good enough let's talk about some of these new big um directions uh entrepreneurially Rob, um, you have a thing going on. Sarah, you have a new idea going on. Sarah, let's start with you and what is happening with, I think, is it packaged products? Is that yes. what you're starting to unfold, yeah. un you know, bring out to the world? So we are um, putting together some of our, like I would say, most well-loved recipes from Sweeties and turning them into box baking mixes. Um, that will be available to hopefully be available by Christmas to purchase. Okay. Um, the company is called Hey Sweetie, 
And we have three different prototypes to start. Um, fudge brownies, salted chocolate pistachio cookies, and our gluten-free Ozzy Monster cookies. Ozzy's our son's name, and he helped me figure out the recipe, so they're named after him. And um, we're super excited to start kind of packaging, moving into a different a different space that of consumer packaged goods that we don't really have we haven't really worked in that space yet, so we're learning new things about packaging, selling, selling things online, websites, social media, all that stuff that we didn't really, we haven't really tackled those issues yet. You keep expanding your comfort zone and, and knowledge base, it seems like, and then business base, you know, just everything just keeps, keeps going forward, keeps growing. Absolutely. I think we, um, we strive uh, and personally are motivated by both um, being creative and uh, challenges that present themselves and then how do you solve those challenges so uh, in this case uh, we see an opportunity in a market um, that's fairly stale uh, when you think of like baking mixes you think of Betty Crocker and Pillsbury and a lot of them are kind of the same recipes for the last like 50 years. Um, they all taste pretty similar, which isn't uh, very good. They don't, <laughs> we wouldn't call it like actually baking. So, what we're trying to create with the Hey Sweetie brand is um, a true baking experience for one, high quality pastries, um, little to no food waste, and um, like very limited chemicals, preservatives, uh, little to none of those. Some of our ingredients that like M&Ms that are in some of the cookies might have something like that, but what we're putting in there is uh, not chemically modified in any way. So we're um, really excited about this. We're excited to bring it out to, to everyone. I've been working hard to kind of get to the packaging part, which is a separate challenge of like, oh, we have this idea and we have these recipes, that's one thing. Um, but then to actually get it to, you know, an actual product is uh, completely different. Okay. So, Rob, now now to your area, you also have a new venture that's kind of unfolding a new, I, I guess, what's become a passion here in Salida, in Chafee County, Colorado, and plenty of mountain towns and, and plenty of other towns across the country. We have some housing uh, challenges and that's something else that you're tackling tell me what what's going on there what has stirred up that passion and and uh, need from your side from your view so for a long time um, we have been struggling in Salida uh, with affordable housing uh, we got involved in this kind of conversation about what's affordable and how we uh, become more affordable as uh, the town was starting to become more expensive uh, probably in like 2016 it really like started to become more of an issue and from our perspective it has a lot to do with being able to find help to run our other businesses our businesses at this point don't really work without the support of our staff um, but even if we're short just one or two people, that has a huge impact, not only on the rest of our staff, but particularly Sarah and I, who kind of fill in for everyone. And our lives become much more tiring and uh, as well as stressful because we're filling in for, you know, you know, our roles. 
and other people's roles and anyone who might be sick or need time off or as well as like solving any problems that come up and um, as we started to see that it was becoming harder and harder to hire people we also saw the correlation that people couldn't move here because they couldn't find a place to live they couldn't find an affordable place to live this um, problem has only continued to get worse and really got a lot worse uh, during the pandemic as there were a lot of people who wanted to leave the cities during those times and they found uh, towns like Salida um, as a great location to move to and they could work remotely uh, they could pay whatever they wanted to for housing and it really drove up the housing prices in the last couple of years and now we're in a much more dire situation where we really are struggling to find people we can go for three months and have a job posting and no one applies okay. uh, you know and, and we're like hoping every day someone will um, and ultimately we're not alone in this situation every restaurant and business is in the same situation we have like just enough people um, but it creates a whole new set of problems um, it's driven up the price of our goods uh, as we're also dealing with inflation we also have to um, pay everyone more uh, they're dealing with inflation um, and so kind of all of our costs have gone up substantially we are always involved in the housing conversation whether we're looking for housing for somebody uh, or looking out for housing for a potential employee or whatever the case is or the person you know that we employ their housing is no longer available or has just gone up substantially in price you know there's problems that come and go or you know they have a fairly affordable place to live and the landlords don't want to fix anything they have roommate issues i mean the the housing drama kind of is uh never ending but it's also sad to kind of see that like our kids unless they live with us in the future might not be able to live here either right. um and uh there's this sustainable aspect of if our businesses don't function and at some point uh, business owners don't find it worth it anymore i mean uh, we just talked about health issues with sarah at some point if we work ourselves into the ground and health issues become more of a thing we will balance the the trade-off and it, and you know at some point it won't be worth it for us anymore uh, to run our restaurants I mean it's just the reality of the situation if we can't find enough people to help us run our restaurants we reach a point at some point in the future where we don't want to do it anymore uh, because it's too hard and we're not alone in that there's a lot of other business owners and that's you know uh, we just talked about all the different types of changes investments other things we've made over the years I mean us saying that isn't saying that lately it's saying that like at some point we just can't keep going at the pace we are um, so we need solutions and we need them quickly and uh, and talking to the community and talking to uh, the um, city council members or uh, other members that are more in control of what's going on the housing authority housing trust all, all the different people involved we kind of felt like change wasn't going to happen quick enough so okay. recently we um, acquired a piece of property that's two acres in town 
We are working on putting a development together for workforce housing. It's uh, asking for an increase in density that we haven't seen in Salida, but the only way to achieve afford affordability is through density. Um, so it's gonna, on two acres, we're gonna try and put 70 units. Most of them are gonna be single bedroom or studio apartments. Uh, we'll have a few single family homes and a few duplexes. Um, we'll have a little uh, community there um, that we are trying to make sure is there for our workforce long term. Uh, it's our goal to, you know, be a benefit to this community long term with this project, not you know from the developer standpoint which is typically how much money can we make from the community um, so there are other options for us to uh, put housing on this property um, that would be uh, financially I guess smarter for us uh, but we would prefer to go the route to have a positive impact on the community so that's kind of one of our goals long term we're working on these you know in addition to maintaining our restaurants, we're working on these two different startups um, and finding ways to kind of branch out, uh, be a benefit to ourselves, the community, um, and provide kind of new ideas. That's a significant um, investment of your time and, and I'm sure all other resources that, that you can muster for this. It's a huge building project that's even bigger than I had gotten the, the hint of before. <laughs> Um, it's amazing how much energy the two of you have and the ideas and the willingness to work hard to make those things come to be. Um, you know, you mentioned your kids and I know that's an ongoing thing too, is that if kids, you know, say they go off to school or they, they're starting kind of at the lower rungs of what they can earn and where they are in careers at some point in their early and mid twenties and can't come back here and buy a house, certainly. Uh, we know that these are ongoing challenges. Um, it occurs to me that maybe your kids then are going to get to live in the very development that you are now taking a leadership role in, in creating. Um, I think that will be something time will tell in the future. But, you know, we want our kids to see that um, we're hard workers, that we care about people our community, the people around us, that we uh, want to work hard to uh, maintain, you know, a sense of community, a sense of family, a sense of uh, doing what's right, and also working hard. And that's how you get, um, you know, you can move forward in different ways in in life by doing some of those things. So we want to set with them. We want to set the example up front of you know expectations that we have. Uh, but hopefully that would lead them to come up with their own ideas uh, in the same way that we have. Well, you certainly, I asked you about a model before, if there was anybody in your family who was an entrepreneur, and you, you shared that story, certainly the two of you now are, mm -hmm. are modeling that and setting some examples and showing what's possible. You know, it sets a new standard, a new bar, I think, for what really does take courage, what is... What's scary, but not too scary, you know? <laughs> it gives them gives them a path forward. I wanna wrap up with a simple question here. Rob, do you mountain bike at all anymore? Is that is that part of your life? Is that your way of kind of getting some time out on the trails here and getting away from some of the, the workload? 
Absolutely. I, uh, it kind of comes in waves, and there are times when I'm on the trail five days a week. Um, there are other times where there's a lot more going on. Maybe it's only once a week or not at all. Uh, kind of all depends on time of year. Okay. But I did uh, a couple weeks ago just partake in the Monarch Crest Enduro race um, with some old buddies of mine. And, uh, you know, that's a, a pretty intense uh, couple days of riding. It was a great time. Uh, so I do still get out. And it is definitely one of my, uh, you know, ways to keep me healthy and ways to keep me sane, uh, both physically and mentally. Sarah, how about you? Do you have an activity like that that uh, yeah. that you kind of go to? You know, I used to, I used to trail run a ton. Um, that used to be my thing, but I did just have another surgery um, just a couple months ago, so I'm still recovering. I don't really have a thing right now. I'm just okay. trying to get better. <laughs> yeah, well absolutely do that and yeah thank you both for coming in here and talking sharing your stories your ideas your uh, inspiration for any and all of us who have some ideas that maybe we're a little a little afraid and you've shown us some light on how to reach out for it so thank you again for coming in and talking with me thank you so much it was for a having pleasure us. to be here thank you so much for thinking of us All right, that was my conversation with Rob and Sarah Gartsman. If what they shared here today resonated with you, you can email comments to Lisa Martin, one of our producers, at lmartin at chafeecounty.org. We invite you to rate and review the We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use with that functionality. We also welcome your spreading the word on your social media pages and telling your family, friends, and neighbors about the good work that we're doing here at Looking Upstream. Once again, I'm your host, Adam Williams. John Prey is engineer and producer. Thank you to KHEN Radio, where we recorded today's conversation in Salida, Colorado. Heather Gorby for graphic and web design. Lisa Martin, producer and community advocacy coordinator for the We Are Chafee Initiative. Andrea Carlstrom, director of Chafee County Public Health and Environment. And Becky Gray, director of the Chafee Housing Authority. The We Are Chafee Looking Upstream podcast is a collaboration with the Chafee County Departments of Public Health and Housing and is supported by the Colorado Public Health and Environment Office of Health Disparities. You can learn more about the Looking Upstream podcast and related storytelling initiatives at wearechafee.org and on Instagram and Facebook at wearechafee. Lastly, thank you for listening. And until next time, as we say at We Are Chafee, be human, share stories.